Good morning. According to a Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary study, there are 200 Christian denominations in America. You ever wonder how many there are across the world? There are 45,000. Ever ask why? Sadly, since the resurrection of Jesus, his church has not been unified. Corinth is a perfect example of this. Now, some of these denominations have come from power grabs, some of them from corruption, but many of them have come from theological distinctives. And many of those theological distinctions come from the passage that we are reading today. 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul's continuing argument, argument around spiritual gifts. And he starts to hone in in the context of the gathering of the saints around two gifts, prophecy and speaking in tongues. Now, as I say those, you likely had some sort of response to those gifts. If you're like me, um, I was saved in a church that was an Assemblies of God church. As you'll hear, I went through uh, different camp experiences that were very, very charismatic in nature. Speaking in tongues was very, very highly sought after. Um, in that denomination, it was understood that the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. So were you baptized in the Spirit? You therefore spoke in tongues. And so it was highly pursued, highly sought after, highly celebrated. All the gifts were. But some of you came from the opposite end of the Christian spectrum when it comes to spiritual gifts. You may have come from what's known as a cessationist background, which believes that the spiritual gifts that are presented in the scriptures no longer are available to us as God's people. The thinking goes that those were necessary in, for the early church, the first few generations after the resurrection of Jesus. But once the scriptures um, became canon and once they were codified and understood, we no longer needed those gifts. And so you... And I, if we have some form of Christian heritage, come to this passage with some preconceived notion, preconceived understanding. And so what I want to do is the best of my ability, help us understand what we actually know about the gift, specifically today, about prophecy. In a few weeks, we're going to address speaking in tongues head on. But today... We're going to focus on the gift of prophecy because as you've just read and as we'll read in a moment, the gift of prophecy in the context of the gathering of the church was more important. So let's go ahead and read what he, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. He says this, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. 
On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the person who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be built up. Paul is coming to a conclusion of his argument around spiritual gifts. This began in chapter 11 when he addresses men and women um, prophesying. So this isn't the first time he's spoken on prophecy. And in that passage, he says that genders, men and women, are distinct, they're both necessary, they're both equal, and yet they are ordered. Um, and so to maintain those God-given good things as they prophesy. So these distinctions are good. So particularly in that passage, men look like men, women look like women when you are doing so. He goes on to talk about more divisions and uh, around the communion table. And then goes about talking about the body of Christ and how different gifts are given to different members of the body. He, right in the middle of this, in chapter 13, he dives head on into the importance of love. I think that's one of the most misquoted and taken out of context passages of the whole Bible. Because that passage is talking about how love is the measure and the motivation for God's people as we gather and as we use our spiritual gifts. And so as he goes from that, he goes right into this passage about prophecy and speaking in tongues. And so here's what we know about prophecy from this text. Now I'm going to be upfront and tell you, I am not a cessationist, nor is the family of churches that we are part of we believe in spirit-empowered ministry, that the gifts of the Spirit are still available to us today. How that looks, we'll talk about in a minute, but they are, from a theological perspective, available to us. Many people, from the cessationist perspective, go and they look at the end of chapter 13 that does say that prophecy and tongues will cease, in which I absolutely agree. The question is, when will they cease? Um, this continuationist view, which I adhere to and we as a church family adhere to, believes that they will cease when Jesus returns. We will no longer need prophecy because we'll see him face to face. We'll no longer be, need to speak mysteries in the spirit, as it says in verse 2, because we will be speaking to him face to face. Faith will be realized. Hope will be fulfilled. Those will cease, but love, the greatest of them, will continue. And so, nothing in the scriptures indicate that those gifts cease. So this, we're going to talk about eight different things that we can know about prophecy based on this text. So, let's dive in. First, prophecy is a gift that all Christians should seek. What does it say in verse 1? Pursue love and desire. The pursuit and desire are connected. There's a zealousness to them. And especially that you may prophesy. So pursue love. And if you're going to desire a spiritual gift, he's speaking to the 
church, everyday people. This isn't a letter written to prophets. This isn't a letter written to pastors or apostles or prophets or leaders. It's written to everyday Corinthians. And he's telling them to pursue love and desire above all prophecy. This is a gift available for all of us. We saw in chapter 11 this particular gift available to men and women. In chapter 11, verse 5, he says, Every woman who prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, implying that if she does it in a proper way, she's doing it um, rightly, which means that women are prophesying. This isn't just a verbal gift given to men in the gathered setting. This is a verbal woman given to all people. And this is something that you and I can pursue. This is something that you and I can experience. Now, what is the gift? Let me define it for you for a moment. I believe prophecy in this context is a spirit-inspired message from God for his people for encouragement, consolation, and instruction in order to build up the body. And so that is available to all of us. And I've seen multiple different um, reactions to this gift. It could either be overzealousness or fear. Overzealousness is where this is the ultimate. Whether it's tongues, whether it's um, a prophecy, it's a charismatic, highly emotional um, uh, uh, charismata. It's a, it's a power gift, if you will. These are more important than everything else. They're placed on a pedestal. And so, if you got you got a word from me, brother, if there's a prophet coming to town, those are going to be more highly attended than a normal prayer meeting or normal Sunday gathering. They want a word. They they need something fresh. And so, there's this overzealousness that if. It's not fresh. If it's not new, it must not be from God. Therefore, I'm not going to pursue it. It's overzealousness. I think for many of us, it's going to be more fear. What if it's wrong? What if it um, disobeys? What if it's not from God? What if what I'm hearing is not actually from God? What if it's a pizza I ate last night? But it also could be fear of the message itself. When I was growing up in um, through middle school and high school and those the camps that I went to, highly charismatic experiences. And I remember one in particular, the speaker was very direct, but not only direct, he was very cutting. Very like when he spoke over people, it was calling out their sin. It was and and making it public for everybody. Um, and these are kids from all different churches and it, it produced a fear in me because I, I didn't want my my mail to be read by everybody. And so that created in me this sense of like, okay, I, who's prophetic around me? Okay, before I meet them, God, is there anything in my life that I need to repent of? I don't want them to tell me. I want you to tell me. I, I And so there's this fear like I don't want them to say it. I don't, uh, what are you going to, uh, I'm going to shy away from that. And this isn't something to be afraid of. This is a gift from God. If God has something to say to you, because we can trust the character of the one 
who's sourced in it, we don't have to be afraid of it. But this goes to point two, what, which is prophecy is about encouragement. It's about encouragement. The function of prophecy is to build up the believer, and in this context, the body, with the outcome of verse 3, it says, um, strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. Later in verse 25, it talks about worship, so that they will worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. And in verse 31, it talks about there will be, that they, everyone may learn. But ultimately, simply stated, prophecy are words of encouragement. They build up, they console, they strengthen, they don't cut, they don't demean, they don't shame. This gift of prophecy builds up, it strengthens the church, and encourages the church. I love our friend Elber Paul, who a couple years ago led a retreat on this very topic for us. And he just calls the gift of uh, prophecy words of encouragement. Do I have a word of encouragement for anybody? Is, is the Lord giving me a word of encouragement for somebody? Because they are to build up the body. That's why prophecy in the context of the church is more valuable than tongues because it builds up the church. Third, prophecy is primarily foretelling, not foretelling. What I mean is foretelling tends to be future-oriented. It's predictive. It's saying what's going to happen. It's telling somebody what they should do. That is a very, very small percentage of what's happening. We do see that in Scripture in Acts. Agabus comes and speaks a word of prophecy that there's a famine coming, and so the church reorients itself. That can happen. But primarily, the, what's, the, the content of the prophecy or of the word of encouragement is drawing out some latent part of that person or group to more fully realize that part of them in the coming days. It's a reminder of their identity, a reminder that they are loved. Something specifically to, from God to that missional community, to that church family, to that individual that will encourage and build them up. So, what that means is that this needs to be offered, number four. This is about humility. When we believe we hear from the Lord, this passage in verse 29, it says two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. The ESV talks about weighing it. This should determine if this is from the Lord. Is We don't just open-handed accept, okay, somebody says that they have a prophecy, okay, Give it to me. No, we test the spirits, as John say. We weigh it. We determine whether it's from God or not from God. Words of prophecy or words of encouragement do not carry the same weight as the scripture. We have to weigh it according to what God says in his word. If we, if we as a community can affirm that this is from God. So therefore, if we have something for somebody, we offer it open-handed. We say, in my language, this is how I say it. I don't know if this is Jesus or Justin, but this is what I'm hearing. What do you hear? What do you sense? 
Does this connect with your spirit? Does this connect with what? And doing that in community and testing it and weighing it out. So a warning. If, if somebody comes thus saying the Lord on you, be, be cautious of that. That isn't necessarily from the Lord. Weigh it. It may be, but weigh it out. And if somebody comes saying, I'm receiving instruction from God for you. And this person and this prophecy gives you this predictive nature. Be warned, warned about that. That that's not necessarily the right way to go about it. It may be from God. It may be part of that small percentage, but it's not the way, it's not a healthy, mature way to do it. So don't assume. Um, but I want you to be cautious of hearing something. I want you, as if you hear something, send something for your brothers and sisters to offer it open-handedly. And as we grow in this muscle as a community, we will grow in our ability to discern this together. Number five, um, prophecy should be understandable. That's This is why in the context of the gathering of the church, Prophecy is more important and more valuable than tongues because tongues requires interpretation to be intelligible. This should be understandable to the person or the group or the church that this is being given to. Number six, it's spontaneous. Now, let me clarify that. What By spontaneous, I, I mean that it's not an exegetical text-driven teaching. We see in verse 6, there's a distinction between tongues, or excuse me, prophecy and teaching. So prophecy is not teaching. It is spontaneous. Now, that could mean in the moment I receive this idea, this nudge, this utterance, this word from God for us or for a person or for a community, it could mean in prayer days or weeks before I receive something, I hear something, or you hear something, and you wrestle with it, you pray it through, is this God, is this not God? You you weigh it, you, you bring it to community, you offer it open-handedly, but this is not some prepared um, teaching. So what I'm doing right now may include prophecy, it may have some utterance of the Spirit, but it is not automatically because I'm trying to teach from the text. Okay, number seven, it's controllable. Verse 32 says this, And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets. What that means is the prophet has the ability to say something or not say something. We can't force God to give us a prophecy. That's not what I mean by controllable. We can't force God to say something to us. But we do have the ability to say or to not say. To speak or not to speak. That is the question. That's what we can control over. We have the ability to say it or not to say it. So in, in the ordering of the church meetings, when Paul says, hey, if one person is prophesying and another starts, the first one should be silent. Vice, second one, the third one, what he's saying is you can stop saying or can, and not say it. This is not some pagan ecstatic trance where you have no control over your body. That's not what's happening here. You, your mind is engaged, your volition, your will is available to you 
to speak or not to speak. And all, lastly, this is all about love and maturity. Love is the measurement of success. Are we doing this in love? If not, we are nothing more than a clanging symbol or a gong. If we understand these mysteries, and it says in first, um, and I have all this faith, but I don't have love, I have nothing. I don't care how much you prophesy. I don't care how much the Spirit works for you. If you don't love, you don't express the fruits of the Spirit, you're not ready for the gifts of the Spirit. We should be a people that are looking to promote love, but also a building up of maturity into the head, which is Jesus, as it says in Ephesians 4. These gifts are not about division. Yes, our brothers and sisters historically and presently divide over this issue. But this does not have to be a divisive issue. This is a secondary issue. Brothers and sisters on both ditches, on both extremes of this, still love Jesus and are saved by His grace. So that means for us, we offer this in love. We want to experience God's love. We want to express God's love. But this should not be a reason to be part of or not be part of a church or be part of a community or not be part of a community. This is a secondary issue. This is about promoting love and unity and the building up of the body of Christ. So, I want you to realize something here. And this is underpinning all of this. And this is the amazing part of it. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, wants to speak to us. We don't believe in this deistic God that's just set things in motion. Maybe he even rose Jesus from the dead and then he's moved on. Our God is alive. He is present with us. Do you realize that the Father wants to express his love to you and me. He wants to tell you. He wants to guide you. He wants to empower you. He wants to inspire you. He wants to be present with his people. That's the purpose of the gospel is that we would be united with him again. And so we have a God that wants to speak to us. This here. The voice of God through our brothers and sisters that we may be encouraged. Romans 15 says that he is the God of encouragement. So if prophecy is a gift of encouragement and sourced in God, we can trust God with it as we weigh it, as we wrestle with it. But we have the opportunity, brothers and sisters, to be empowered to wrestle with the scriptures, but also to hear from God through one another and in prayer for one another. What a gift. What an opportunity of, that's available to us. Can you imagine? You have somebody that's mourning, that's grieving, and all of a sudden you have this opportunity. The Spirit just gives you something that will console them, and you offer it gently and kindly, and it brings life to that person. Oh, what a gift. Can you imagine? In a missional community, a church gathering, the Lord just builds something in your heart for somebody else. And maybe it's just an opportunity to pray for them. And all of a sudden you see change. Oh, praise God that He is alive among us. He's the head of the church. He's leading the church. 
And so this is our chance and our opportunity to learn and experience this. And so I want to give you an opportunity now in your house-to-house gathering to experience this. This is a practice that my missional community has um, practiced over the last month, and I, I want to encourage you in the same way. So in this setting, I want you to take time to pray two questions. You're going to have time to listen. This is a chance for you to pray verbally. This is a chance to listen and then come together and talk about what you heard. So the first question is, Father, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me? Receive that. Wrestle it. Write it down. Is it, maybe it be a form of art. Write that. Draw that out if you are artistic in nature. But then the second question. Father, what do you want to say through me to others? And then, listen. It may be nothing. It may be that you just someone needs to hear, like, hey, God's really proud of you. God loves you. I don't know what he will inspire. And then I want you to take like two or three minutes for each of these questions and just listen and then offer that to the community. Share that with one another. What did you hear? What did you sense? What did you listen to? Does he have something to say to us as a community? Maybe this is for an individual. I don't know what it means. But in love, gentleness, kindness, step-by-step learning to experience this. These can be messages from God. These are opportunities for us to hear the heart of God the Father through God the Spirit because of God the Son. And so we can worship, we can learn, we can be encouraged, consoled, empowered, strengthened for the mission of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that you are present with us. And so, Father, as we, your people, listen, we ask that you do speak to us. Use this time in the months ahead to speak love, encouragement, to receive love and strengthening and encouragement through your people. Father, I repent for being afraid of this, for not leading us well in this. God, help us repent if we've down-talked or misused or abused this. Father, we just want what you have and what you want for us. So lead us in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.